people. Howdy, everybody. My name is Sam Schreiber. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the brave and courageous souls that took a leap of faith, fed into their curiosity, and clicked open this podcast to find out what the heck it was. My name's Sam Schreiber, and this is the first ever episode of Feminist Futura. We are a podcast put on by Central Michigan Life, and we're here to discuss feminism both past, present, and future. It is all about this idea and this concept and activism through the perspective of the college demographic. So on campus, I have served as the president of Planned Parenthood Next Generation for Central Michigan University. And I was also this campus's um, condom collective ambassador through Advocates of Youth. Uh, I just want to keep on saying central, 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 central. I go to central. (laughs) And I just really hope that this podcast Podcast will be something that's extremely casual as both and all parties are learning. We're expanding our minds, opening our hearts, and truly challenging the way that we perceive not just the world, but advocacy, activism, and social commentary. We are clearly entering a new age of reflection and analysis when it comes to how society operates and interacts with each other, especially when it comes to the many divisions that separate gender and genders. So, as I am still learning, I wanted to provide an experience that will be epically empowering, super mellow, but at the same time, quite serious as we encounter topics that will challenge the way that we see the world and our environment and also occasionally make us uncomfortable. Once again, this is Feminist Futura and we are looking forward to an incredible podcast experience. I will probably say this a million times per episode but buckle your seatbelts everybody and pretend you're on a roller coaster (laughs) i actually meant to say prepare um this is actually such an interesting time to start a podcast because i am literally just sitting on my bed speaking into my iphone while my parents sit downstairs in the living room wondering why the heck i'm talking to myself (laughs) um (laughs) So once again, enjoy this wild ride. This is Feminist Futura. Okay, how's it going to all the people who didn't jump ship after my awkward introduction? Welcome to the best part of Feminist Futura, essentially the part where we all throw professionalism out the window. I would like to introduce you all to one of my really good friends, a female women rights activist, a feminist baddie, and an advocate against sex trafficking in the United States and globally, Jess Ribbons. Tell us about yourself, Jess. Give myself my own little round of applause here. Um, Well, thank you, first of all, for wanting to interview me. That is just lovely on all parts. So thank you for having me. 
Oh, of course, of course. And you are a Central Michigan alumna. You graduated spring 2019 after doing, how many semesters did you do abroad? Um, I did two semesters abroad, Fire Up Chips. Um, Yeah, I just graduated this past May, so it's coming up on about a year being post-grad life, all that fun stuff. Getting old, Um, you ain't getting any younger, Jess. Exactly. I feel old, but honestly, I wouldn't go back because my post-grad life has been great. Um, Highly recommend graduating. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I spent two semesters abroad, which was just an amazing opportunity. Um, And what leads me here today was because of that, I had the opportunity to do an internship in Ecuador my very last semester with CMU to go do an internship with an organization called Alas de Colibri which means Wings of a Hummingbird. Um, And they are a safe house for girls under the age of 18 who are survivors of sex trafficking. Um, So I became involved with um, the the issue of sex trafficking a lot more deeply, obviously, when I got that experience and worked with those amazing girls who absolutely changed my life. And then after graduation, I decided to not use my degree at all, which is Spanish, uh, and decided to go the activist route and have been working with an organization that also provides um, treatment to survivors of sex trafficking here in Texas. Yeah, and you're pursuing quite a few certificates, uh, aren't you, in this COVID-19 age of isolation? Yes, exactly. Freebies. Exactly. You got to stay a lifelong learner, kids. Um, I never thought I would miss taking classes, but uh, with COVID-19 being what it is and there being so many opportunities to take classes online for free, essentially, um, I found a program called edX where they have tons of different uh, courses from prestigious universities. Like I'm taking one through Stanford, one through Harvard. Um, And you have to pay around $50 to get a certificate of completion, which I've decided to do for a couple of them. But even to just get the knowledge from them without paying is super beneficial. So highly recommend looking into that for anyone out there. Like human advocacy, right? Yeah, I just finished one class called um, Human Rights Defenders that is put on by Amnesty International. Uh, they, ha- they have that course on there for free, um, which you can also get a certificate in. And that just kind of prepares you for what it looks like to be a human rights defender, how to protect yourself from threats that inevitably come with being a very vocal human rights defender how to protect yourself, what what um, obligations your government has to you as a human rights defender, et cetera. It, it was really knowledgeable. 
for sure. I feel like when I kind of introduced you as a feminist, I was kind of introducing you in the same way that a five-year-old orders an ice cream sundae, you know, like (laughs) banana with the chocolate sauce and the female and the empowerment and the go girl, you know, and that's such a challenge for me because every time I want to talk about feminism or female rights or women rights, again, here I go again. It's like this huge Sunday of like, and the vagina power and the reproductive <laughs> rights and the abortions and the I, I love all of those words. Those are all words that I love. When you're, you know, when you are finally, you know, giving the proper name of this feminist Sunday that you are, what, what kind of topics of feminism are you currently advocating for? Ooh, that's a tall order. Um, so right now, um, well, I'm actually, you were talking about the classes that I'm taking. One of the classes that I'm taking right now is called um, Women's Health and Human Rights. Um, so I'm realizing right now that a lot of the different aspects of human rights and different aspects of women's rights that I advocate, advocate for, um, are just all so interconnected. And I think, you know, we are, we know that on a superficial level, how interconnected they are, but like learning more deeply about how they are all connect to a certain human rights issue. Um, So I think that it's really hard to choose just one thing because I think if you are being a really effective as an activist in whatever whatever area you're being an activist for, you really need to dive into all the different areas of that and really give yourself a broad spectrum of knowledge not even just about women's rights but you know how um capitalism affects that or how environmental justice affects that and how it just like all goes in on each other but I guess some of the things that I have focused on up to this point would be reproductive rights especially um which we can talk more about um the solidarity project that you were also a part of with me Um, and how I really delved into defending uh, reproductive rights and uh, anti-sex trafficking. That is definitely else. And just uh, domestic violence, gender-based violence, um, and uh, sexual assault. Those are the main things that I've focused on as a women's rights activist at this point. Yeah. That's phenomenal. So as we had talked prior to this interview, I really want to dive in into human trafficking and sex trafficking because unfortunately it's such a big topic that I feel like any individual can agree is not really discussed often, especially how close it can be into our everyday lives. With all that being said, I would like to read a clump of lines from an April 2019 article, Human Trafficking is an Epidemic in the U.S. It's Also Big Business, which was by Jacqueline Galushi in um, Fortune Magazine. So... Mm -hmm. 
Human trafficking is estimated to bring in global profits of about $150 billion a year, $99 billion for sexual exploitation, according to the International Labor Organization. Nearly 9,000 cases in the U.S. were reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline and Be Free text line in 2017, a 13% increase from the prior year, according to the Polar's project. But this data is incomplete as cases are severely underreported. I feel like anyone can read that multiple times and each time have the interaction with it that is, oh my gosh, I did not realize how big this is. Exactly. And I think just the more and more involved you become in this issue, that feeling never really ends. I still feel that feeling the more and more research I do, the more and more I become involved in it, just how expansive the issue really is. And I really appreciate the Polaris project um, specifically. And I'm glad that you used their quote because they're one of very few organizations that are getting large amounts of data um, because data is so huge in combating any social issue Um, And like they said, it's extremely underreported. So unfortunately, we have no way to get accurate data. That's not just the U.S. and that's all over the world. Globally, we have no idea how many people are actually suffering from um, human trafficking or sex trafficking in general. As someone who, oh, I apologize, but as someone who works directly with individuals affected by sex trafficking, as people who are wandering around looking to be better advocates, better protectors, and better aware, what are some of the signs that you should look for when you think someone might be currently a victim of sex trafficking? That's difficult. It often happens behind closed doors. So it's very rare that you're going to be a bystander specifically to it. Um, But some of the things you can look out for is, um, for instance, if there is a older male with a younger girl, doesn't really necessarily look like his daughter, but is ordering her food for her and not really asking her what she wants. Um, clearly taking control over a situation in which it doesn't seem necessary for them to be, you know, so forceful. Um, Also just seeing young girls on the street who are, you know, clearly prostituting themselves um, because oftentimes their traffickers, you know, will send them to their spots uh, in the community to go get customers essentially. And so, Um, a lot of times they're going to just appear as prostitutes, as people who are, you know, just, you know, sex workers. So it can be often really hard to find, but, um, you know, and oftentimes with abuse in general, you can look for those regular signs of are there bruises, a a blue eye or a bloody lip, you know, does that person look pretty rough? Does that person look like their basic needs are being met? Um, cause those are all a lot of signs of just, you know, neglect in general. Um, but like I said, it's extremely hard to identify these people because it's very underground and mostly behind closed doors. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So something that you had spoken out about on social media, which is one of the biggest things that inspired me to commence this interview, is the relationship between sex trafficking and the porn industry. Mm, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm actually still learning quite a bit about this right now. But uh, really, the most important takeaway right away is don't use free porn. Free porn is not ethical porn. Um, free porn sites like Pornhub, for example, which is very popular, which I've used myself, you know, I'm not understanding the, uh, the issue at hand, is traffickers can very easily put their victims on those sites um, and have no repercussions for it. People will be actively making money off of those girls, you know, rapes and sexual assaults actively through porn. And you may have no idea. You may have absolutely no idea that they're on there. So I think it's just really important that um, you support sex workers. So I'm a huge advocate right now. And, you know, as I advocate for survivors of sex trafficking, I realize more and more the importance of advocating for sex workers' rights and supporting sex workers. Um, because essentially, the more that we're supporting sex workers who are doing their work consensually, who wants to be doing sex work, the more we lessen the market for traffickers to exploit people. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's because there's, why would you get some sketchy porn when you could get really great porn from someone who's doing it enthusiastically and wants to be doing it. You know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can um, advocate for survivors, but I think a really big one is supporting um, consensual sex, sex workers yeah. and changing the dialogue about that. Cause really it's about, it's about power and as we all know, a lot of our problems, but especially this one, its root is in the patriarchy. It's rooted in misogyny, and it's rooted in the idea that women are objects to sell and trade as commodity. Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, it looked like you were going to ask a question. No, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, kind of going back to the root of our audience, the root of this podcast, which is these issues from the college perspective, what is sex trafficking's place in a college environment? You know, I, I'm, I don't want to say that it doesn't happen on college campuses because that isn't an accurate thing to say, but I will say that um, you are at less of a risk than the majority of the world is if you are attending college in general. Um, the majority of sex trafficking victims are, are female, below the age of 18, and also usually did not have access to adequate education, um, usually are, come from families that lived in poverty, and usually are trafficked by their own families quite frankly, that in the U.S., the, the majority of sex trafficking cases, the perpetrators were the victim's own family members um, and parents, specifically. So one thing I do want to say is there is a lot of mass hysteria, I think, about just going, 
oh my God, I'm going to get napped off the street and sex trafficked and all this stuff, which I always want to advocate for being diligent and aware of your surroundings, especially as a woman, you know, it's you, that's just something we've always, we always have to do. And unfortunately we've learned this from a young age. We have to be vigilant. We have to use our common sense and keep ourselves out of situations where we would be more vulnerable to being attacked. But with that being said, I think it is important to know that um, at a, on a college campus and as a college student, you are far less likely to be victimized than the general population, although it's not impossible. Um, and that, in fact, you're at a, in a really great position to advocate more than anything. You can advocate for your community. You can be donating um, to causes, to different um, treatment facilities for survivors, especially um, donating to Polaris to continue their research. Um, and ultimately, you could, you know, make it a career path as well. And someone in college, if you're extremely passionate about it, um, study um, women and gender studies things like that, social justice, you can get super involved and make a career out of fighting it. Essentially. What, are the best, what are the best organizations to donate to and to support if you want to advocate for human and sex trafficking, human trafficking overall on campus? On campus, to be honest, I wasn't as involved in anti-trafficking work while I was on campus or even so it's hard for me to the world yeah in the, in the world um I would say Amnesty International definitely helps a lot with that sort of thing Polaris Polaris really is um huge very huge for that and is I if I'm correct I don't want to say anything completely false here but I believe that Polaris is like leading in um, aid for sex trafficking survivors in the U.S. Um, globally, oh, I don't really know, but I would love to do more research on exactly, because I don't want to advocate for something and then not be 100% sure about it, but I would love to give more examples of um, international organizations that you could support as well, apart from just Polaris, that you can include you know, as a written part of this later. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience working at a, would I say a safe house? Is that a good word for it when you were in Ecuador? Yeah, it's essentially a residential treatment center. If you want to use the most like fancy words for it, I guess, fanciful words. But essentially it is a safe house. It's a place where um, the girls go and live for a period of time while uh, the social workers and lawyers there are working to get their rights back. So what does that look like? That looks like the social worker working to get them documents back. Most survivors l exit their trafficking experience without any personal documents, like a driver's license or a passport, or anything that they can identify themselves with is usually taken from them as a form of, you know, power and manipulation controlled by the traffickers. So getting them their documents back, um, working towards taking legal action against their traffickers, um, you know, figuring out if they're going to enroll back in school, if they were missing school, how that's going to work for them, um, receiving therapy, huge part of it. Um, 
and just other life enriching activities, which is more what I was doing is just organizing activities for them, them to do, organizing little classes for them to take and teaching it and, and things to keep them happy and fun because at the end of the day, they were a bunch of girls ages 11 to 17 years old and they're just like any other teenage girl. She wants to talk about boys. She wants to watch twerking videos. She wants to, <laughs> she wants to do all just like the fun teenager stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of what that looked like. You, you, didn't you Didn't you take them on a march for International Women's Day? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Didn't you take them on a march or some sort of event for International Women's Day? No, unfortunately, no. I would have loved to do that with them. Um, but unfortunately, when they are a part of, and when any person is a part of a system, like or an institution, I guess would be the better word, a part of an institution like that, they can't really go out into the world like that while they're staying with us. Um, they're usually kept in the facility, and when they're out of the facility, they're monitored. Um, cause this is something that I learned right away. You think that you're going to go into these facilities met with people who are extremely grateful to have exited their trafficking experience. Um, but many of them don't necessarily want to leave their traffickers. Many of them will keep saying, well, I'm in love with them, that he's my boyfriend. He loves me, you know. They're, they're young girls who are, um, you know, dating their traffickers or it's their mother and they love their mother um, and don't even understand that they've been trafficked. So a lot of times it, it's us trying to keep them from running away um, or preventing them from being taken by their traffickers that may still be searching for them. Um, so we have to keep it a little bit locked down and keep them um, very safe from the public. Uh, like we can't really, like we can't share an address. I have to shut off the location services on my phone if I'm at work to make sure no one can track me on my phone where I am and my location. Um, that stuff's super secretive. But on International Women's Day in Ecuador, I did get to go to um, a Women's Day march, which was just a fantastic experience. And before the march, I was with the girls from Alas de Colibri all day before I went to the march. And we did a fun outing. We went out and played soccer and had a really famous female soccer player from Ecuador come speak to them and empower them. And it was, it was a really lovely day. That's incredible. So yeah. unfortunately, we're kind of approaching the end of this interview. And I know that sucks because there's so many things to talk about, not just about sex trafficking, but again, this whole umbrella that is so interconnected with itself in a very yeah. beautiful and important and essential way. Uh, I guess two final questions. What are the biggest misconceptions with sex trafficking? Ooh, there's a lot of them. And I would say the main misconception about sex trafficking is that um, only women are trafficked. I think I have said a lot, women, 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 girls. Um, but I do want to emphasize the fact that there are men and boys who are sex trafficked as well. Um, so I think that's a really big misconception. 
Oh, what's another really good one? I think that, like I said before, there's this conception that most people are trafficked by just, you know, being taken out of your car at the grocery store or something like that. But in reality, the number one, um, that's what I'm looking for. The number one case that we usually see in the U.S. This does not pertain globally, but in the U.S., most sex trafficking survivors were trafficked by their parents. Here, um, and granted, they can be of all ages. They're not always 18 or younger. They're not always women. And I think that's really important to keep in mind that um, trafficking does not discriminate. It is any any people can be trafficked. It just so happens that about I want to say about 85% of sex trafficking victims are women and girls. Yeah, because you were actively advocating during the commencement of COVID-19 and these international shutdowns, what effect does COVID-19 have on sex trafficking, especially when it comes to transitioning out of sex trafficking? This is, um, yeah, this is going to make me a little emotional. Um, I think that it's really difficult right now because a lot of organizations that normally would be receiving funding to help them probably are not receiving as much funding. Their staffing is a difficult situation. Um, so just in general, the organizations that would help be helping these survivors are struggling to maintain their status quo, um, which obviously makes gaps in care. Um, also, we have to consider that when there is an increase in unemployment and an increase in poverty, which we're obviously seeing right now with an economic crisis, there is going to be an increase in people participating in sex trafficking um, to get money. You know, when people are desperate, people will do pretty much anything to have money and take care of their families. Not that that's an excuse at all, but we will definitely see it. Um, there's going to be more victimization. Um, it's going to be harder for people to get help. Um, and there also may be an increase in the mistreatment. Um, if they are staying with their abuser, which usually they are, if they're staying with their trafficker, they may see more um, physical abuse happening right now as stress increases for everybody. Um, including their traffickers. Their traffickers will be stressed, and when abusers are stressed, they tend to abuse more, and they tend to become more violent. Um, and, you know, giving them less food, taking more of the money from the girls, it's it's not going to be a pretty situation. And, I mean, it isn't currently, and it never was. But I do think that COVID-19 is going to aggravate the situation severely. Um, so... Definitely, if there's any way you can support any organizations, like definitely do so right now. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any final points that you would like to kind of leave on the table before leaving this? Uh, man, again, I want to say there's so much more that I would love to say on this topic. Um, and really, just if anyone has any more interest in it, um, I don't know if it's possible to have like my email connected to this in some way that people could email me with questions. Yeah, you can do it. I'm definitely open to questions and advice for people who are interested in 
um, working directly with survivors or working with this system of, you know, working against sex trafficking. Um, I just really want to encourage anybody and everybody and anybody to become a part of the cause. And even if you're not advocating or working directly with the cause, if you're being an activist for human rights in general, um, you're indirectly helping the cause because it's all connected. So um, keep up the good work, keep up the fight, and stay healthy, everybody. That's all I got to say right now. Well, as we begin to peace out on this phenomenal pilot episode of Feminist Futura, thank you so much, Jess, for providing so much phenomenal and outstanding information, especially at this time. As we begin to peace out, like I said, what are some of your biggest takeaways that you want people to have leaving this podcast? Yeah, thank you again for having me. I think that the first big takeaway and big disclaimer that I want to make sure stays with everybody is one, that um, sex trafficking looks different in every case. It doesn't always look the same. It happens to all genders, um, all races, but disproportionately um, sex trafficking victims are African-American or Latinx or also women. So those are the primarily the people who are victimized are women of color. So just keep that in mind. On top of that, as we're sitting at home during the age of COVID-19, a period that is obviously aggravating this issue, make sure for those that are privileged, privileged enough that we're utilizing this time to research, to educate, to build awareness, and to truly use this social media platform to our best advantage of truly advocating for these individuals who are currently victims of sex trafficking. And thirdly, the very best way that you can advocate for sex trafficking victims right now, because I know, we know, you're all home, you're all cooped up and bored, you're horny, you're watching porn, but you know what you could do instead of watching Pornhub? You can go subscribe to an OnlyFans account. Get some consensual sex workers in your life to support sex trafficking victims. That's the best thing you can do from home right now, people. Keep flicking the beans, eating the meat ethically. Yes, stop freaking shaming that girl with the fans-only account linked to her Instagram bio because she is freaking putting in work, producing ethical porn out here to help you beat it. Oh, gonna do a little remix (laughs) live from the house. Gonna pay to watch that booty <laughs> Flipping that bean. Vanilla bean. Starbucks. Ain't no shame in between when you got that ethical porn. Corn on the cob. Ain't no one around to slob on the knob. <laughs> because of the pandemic. Peace out, y'all. Yeah, Stay okay. Home. I, think, I think that's Stay healthy. <laughs> It's time to get Sam to calm down here. It's her bedtime. I know. I'm going to go to bed. We'll talk to you next week. Don't worry. Jess will be back. Jess will be a back. Yes. Woo!